it was just like you know yeah i like almost like over engineered the entire like right. scheduling and project management system and you know i think to your point it, i think half of the puzzle for any good project management or any tool is adoption and how do you make yep. sure that people are actually using this and going to use it like you know even like where i work it's like we have a ton of like internal tools but like the most effective ones are the simplest ones that people actually use and actually get done Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, do you remember that absolutely ridiculously crazy Asana board that I had created for us like six years ago? How many unfinished overdue tasks do you think are still on that board? <laughs> I should have never opened it up before the show. <laughs> Today's show, we're talking about Asana, a web and mobile-based project management platform. Yeah, so Asana is a software company, and I have not used it in this to their tools in about five years, but I absolutely love their tools. And, you know, before the episode, diving in and exploring the product and getting familiar and familiarizing myself back with the product made me want to just start using it again because I definitely miss using it. But, you know, what is Asana at its core? So, as Jeff mentioned, it's a project and team management tool to help streamline your workflows with small teams, large teams on really any size project. Jeff, do you still use Asana? I don't use Asana anymore. I did try to use Asana at one period in time. I tr tried like a lot of different project management tools, but don't still currently use Asana. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because ultimately with these, I I always fall back on like to-do list is ultimately what it is. And mm -hmm. for me is like, I'm still like pen and paper. I have like a moleskin here in front of me and people like might like make fun of me. Actually, some of my coworkers do make fun of me because like I'm like handwriting sometimes notes in, in meetings like with people. And granted, I haven't had an in-person meeting with someone in two and a half years. So people don't see that happen. But for me, there's something about handwriting things. And anyways, I go to to-do lists. But for those of you who are not familiar with Asana, so I'm just going to describe what the customer experience is. So they have a really great onboarding wizard. So uh, you open up the, you know, asana.com or you open up the app that they have and you, it prompts you with, Hey, like, what are some basic tasks that you want to do? For example, what are the top three things that you want to accomplish this week? It gives you the option to either sort these in list form. If you're a to-do lister, like I just mentioned that I'm a to-do lister, um, you can also sort them in board form. So if you like to see them more in like a sticky note form. So at some point in my life, Jeff, I don't know if you've been like this too, but maybe it was in undergrad. I'm a, a sticky note person on some mm -hmm. projects where I just yep. like, you know, put a bunch of sticky notes on like all the stuff that I need to do and, and take them down. And then the third option that you have for organizing all of these basic tasks is a calendar form. So this is also useful. You can see in the calendar form if things are due, when they're due, and kind of start to plan out and map out your individual days. And so it, you can also switch between the three different forms, the list, the boards, and the calendars, which is nice. Also within Asana, you can actually connect team members to these specific tasks and get a really unique data report on this data. So if you're assigning tasks to specific people, you can see if people have accomplished each specific task and kind of get a really nice readout and report out. And for you know the explosion of remote work, this is just an absolutely critical tool of data reporting and accountability to just start to let teams work asynchronously. You know, it's like, hey, you know, at the beginning of the week, we set, we, we have, you know, 30 tasks that each person needs to do or a goal that people need to hit. And at the Friday checkpoint, 
you can say, hey, you know, Mike did not hit all 30 goals. He hit 25. So we're going to roll over the next five. Or maybe we start to see a pattern and say, hey, like, let's actually start dropping some of these tasks because they're not <laughs> really driving any, you know, real value to the company or real value to this project. So because Mike obviously doesn't use them. One question for you, Jeff, is when you're at work, do you have any like, well, I guess like what are your favorite just mental models for like prioritizing your to-do list? Yeah, this is funny because I chat with my coworkers about this. I can't remember if it was like in the past week or so, but I just use whatever I want to use at that time. Like I tend to switch it up. So mm. I like you will write to-do lists and check boxes in a paper notebook. I've got a whiteboard that sometimes I'll write to-do stuff up on. Um, sometimes I'll use a Trello board. In the past, I, this sounds really old school, but like would use email as a to-do list. Yeah, so I still do if that. If people were to write an email to me asking me for something uh, because I'm a zero inboxer, that to me is another task. Um, sometimes I would create calendar items and clear those out. So yeah, I think that's just like a combination of a bunch of different things. And to me, my problem has always been because I'm using a, a multitude of different tools, like I might have tasks scattered and I have to duplicate and dedupe tasks across and choose one thing. However, I find that if I use one thing for a really long time, it gets really stale. And then I end up like not liking using that thing. And I always look for something else and something fresh. I think that's what ended up having with Asana. Like mm -hmm. I tried using it for a bit and I was like, let me try something else. And just never kind of went back words. to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's so funny, man, because like we're like the exact same with that. Like I'm in box zero and I have like my whiteboard here and I guarantee yeah. if I took my finger and tried to cross something out, it wouldn't happen because the to-do list has been up there for so long and that the, the whiteboard <laughs> is not, Yeah, it's yeah. actually not a whiteboard anymore. It's just permanent board. <laughs> but yeah, just I like to try a bunch of different things and like just be flexible. And sometimes it's calendar. Sometimes like it's two of my favorite frameworks are what are the three things that I need to do at the end of today to just feel comfortable or feel happy that I had a productive day. That's like a useful like heuristic mm -hmm. that I use. And the, the second one is, I can't remember if we've talked about this on this show before, but is it's the Eisenhower matrix. So I don't know if you use that at all for prioritization. I don't think we've talked about it, but yeah, let's chat about that. Because I think I've heard about that before, but just fresh in my memory. Yeah, so what the Eisenhower matrix is, is it's just like a, a two by two matrix. So on the vertical axis, rather, <laughs> is the important and not important. I actually, I'm already like back to like middle school math, like Y to the sky. But yeah, the, the vertical Y axis is important and not important. And then on the horizontal, you have urgent and not urgent. Mm -hmm. So for anything that's in the top right quadrant of important and urgent, you should do it now. Anything that's urgent and not important, you should delegate. So, you know, find someone else to do this. You know, it's like not super important, so it can fall off, but it really should be done. It's urgent. It's quick. So delegate that. On the left-hand side, if it's not urgent, but it is important, you should schedule it. So that's when you should create like a schedule. You should add it to your Outlook or your Google Calendar, whatever you use for your mm -hmm. calendar. And then lastly is the not urgent, not important, which you should just delete it, RIP, stamp that, 8-6, don't do that task. <laughs> so anyways, I like the Eisenhower matrix. It's just like a nice, like simple... Uh, simple framework that I yeah. think back to. Yeah, I like it a lot too. I, I think that the trouble that I get into is because both those things are so subjective, I, I find myself widening the band of what's considered urgent and then what's considered <laughs> important. So like everything's important, everything's urgent. I find myself doing this thing where I try to get everything that I can done that requires an action from me. And that's just usually too much bandwidth wise. And then there are some things that I have blockers on, like I'm waiting for action or information from other people. And so I have to like wait another day. But 
I end up doing this thing and you might see the same thing, but like a lot of product managers have a ton of meetings during the day, but they mm-hmm. also need to have like heads down work. I find myself doing this thing where I have all these meetings throughout the day. There's a lot of loose ends I need to tie up and I can't get this stuff. And then at night when I'm like catching up on work, I will send out all my Slack messages asking for the next steps or um, making decisions and all that stuff. And so I think people, if they follow me on Slack at work, they notice that like I have this large chunk or block of like output (laughs) between like (laughs) maybe sometimes they're like 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. where I'm like, writing out documents or sending out decisions or asking people for next steps or doing whatever. They probably wonder why I like working then. I just need like space to think, like focus time to think about stuff sometimes. And totally. I find that that's um, something I struggle with personally. Yeah. The reason why I mentioned that I did talk about this recently is because at work we started this, I'll call it like a productivity. I think it was like a time and stress management circle. Um, and I found that it was really awesome to hear one that like, a lot of other people empathize with you. Like they have similar problems and they also struggle. People that I think that are really talented product managers as well. So that helps a little bit with some imposter syndrome stuff. Totally. Um, but at the same time, they, they were giving me different methods of like how to deal with this. And what you just mentioned is something I run into all the time, which is, hey, I feel like I've done a lot today, but I feel like I still need to do more. When can I consider today like good? Like <laughs> when, have I, when, when have I put in a solid day's worth of work? And do I feel like I'm letting anyone down? Like, am I a blocker for anyone? And uh, yeah, I heard a couple of tips. One thing was like, if you put it off like two or three times and no one's banging you on your door for it, then like maybe it's time to like take that off your list, for example. Or yeah. or someone gave me this awesome tip, which is like at 6 p.m. set an alarm because that's time to be a person. <laughs> like go do something <laughs> else, right? Don't worry about your day job. And someone else gave me this tip, which was... You can write that doc on Monday. That doc's still going to be there. You know, yep. like today's not the day to write doc. So I think there's like different tips like that that I think are really helpful. And it's always kind of this like mix and match of what's useful for me at that particular point in time. I think it's always going to be some something that people like us that kind of have like a lot of competing urgencies and dependencies have to struggle with. But at the same time, like that's part of part of the job of a PM is to prioritize, right? <laughs> totally. I think like something that I've really, really enjoyed being on the east coast so you know i was previously on west coast hours because i was living in seattle and then moved during covid to rochester new york and i'm in east coast time when my entire team is on west coast time so to your point of like needing that open space because i'm the same way as like if i have like a meeting that's like you know at 9 30 and i had an open break from like 9 to 11 that two hour slot's almost like ruined you know because like I've, i have that like meeting like right smack in the middle of it so it's been really nice to have essentially from like 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, like three hours, just like uninterrupted where I can just be heads down. And if I like really need some like extra focus time or if I'm like have a big presentation or a big document that I need to write, I can always like wake up a little bit earlier and and get that time done. And then, you know, I've been making it a point to like really stop at six o'clock. So I, I like that advice of like set the alarm, be a person at six. But yeah. It just gets me thinking of like, how do you mechanize that? You know, I don't know how that would scale if I was on the West Coast. I think, you know, I would probably be in the same boat that you are of like. It's funny that you mentioned that. I have a coworker is part of that group. And she kind of mentioned that even though she's on the East Coast, she's also in New-, in New York, I believe. She works specific time. She likes having, I guess, the morning to herself to do other things outside of work and then like picking up work around noon, you know, 11 or noon. Different people have different thoughts and how to kind of approach this problem. And it's not something that I could do. I couldn't work East Coast time because that'd be up at like 5 (laughs) a.m. But yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting problem for sure. I think this is something that 
is maybe not talked about enough, especially as people move to remote first companies where previously like people that are co-located, you know, they have this benefit of everyone's in the same time zone. So the expectations are kind of managed. And while I am a thousand percent supportive of uh, remote work, I think the struggle that comes with it is that being a dispersed company makes it kind of difficult to like, I guess like manage the timelines and milestones appropriately, if that makes sense. Like you might have one person on the East Coast and so you have to get some information from them and make a decision. And then that decision might impact someone on the West Coast. And you're obviously in one of those places as well. Yeah, you kind of have this like time lag and time delay. Uh, And there's probably like a small window where everyone has enough bandwidth where everyone can be in the same meetings, but you're not the only one vying for their attention. So it gets even more difficult to get get on the time, uh, get on the calendar or whatever. Totally. And, and that's where I think like a, a tool like Asana comes in is where it's like, hey, if I'm collaborating with my, let's call it like 15 person direct stakeholder team, I clear the list like the state, like the the tasks, like the big parts of the project mm-hmm. that need to move forward. And then you can kind of start to see like where the blockers are actually occurring. And then just like off like asynchronously, you can unblock of the, all those things. But I think to your point, like you do need to have that forcing function at some point in time to say, yeah, hey, some sort of sync time. Yeah, exactly. Like this is like our decision point. This is like when we're all going to like get together and like either, you know, we're going to go from green to red or we're going to move out by a week or we're going to change the timelines. But yeah, I think that's something like Asana can definitely help. Yeah. Let's chat about the history of the product. So it was founded in 2008 by Dustin Moskovitz and Justin Rosenstein, both of which were at Facebook prior to Asana. Moskowitz was obviously a co-founder of Facebook and Rosenstein created a productivity tool within, I think within Facebook called Tasks. So this is kind of right up their alley. In November of 2011, uh, they launched Asana for free out of beta and it was commercially launched in 2012. By 2018, they had over 35,000 paying customers, including very large companies like Uber, IBM, AB InBev, which is kind of the parent company for Anheuser-Busch. Overstock, you know, we had used it at Autodesk. So a couple, you know, really big companies using Asana. In 2021, they had reported, or there was a report at least of 114,000 customers. So that's pretty crazy, like 3x yeah. over three years with $2 million in paid seats. So yeah, overall, like I think a pretty healthy uh, trajectory for growth. I know um, Asana had IPO'd um, in 2020, which I'll jump into here. So in terms of funding, they raised, I think I didn't find like series A and B money, but you know, they were, they might not have raised too much money because they were previously Facebook co-founders. So maybe they had some of it. Um, <laughs> Living but, off the fat of the land for lack of a yeah, better word. Exactly. So um, what I found was in 2016, they raised 50 million in series C, which was led by um, Sam Altman, who is the president of Y Combinator. In 2018, they raised a series D of 75 million by uh, Generation Investment Management, which was uh, led by Al Gore, which I think is interesting. Huh. Um, That's out of left field. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, he did, you know, discover the internet. Um, in 2018, <laughs> uh, there was another $50 million in Series E to invest in kind of like international and product expansion, which I think is, to what we mentioned earlier, part of the problem with distributed teams and managing tasks asynchronously. And in 2020, Asana went public. So yeah, overall, obviously very successful. A lot of people are looking to Asana at the enterprise level to manage projects. What I found that works really well with Asana is you can kind of choose how granular you want your tasks to be. Like you mentioned that they could be like these three big tasks, but I found that you can make subtasks on subtasks on subtasks and that can <laughs> yep. go in forever. And I, I think that that's where I found it to be maybe a little bit overwhelming for like a one person operation. 
But I think like at an organization level, you probably get a lot more benefit out of using a platform like Asana versus just like one singular person. I have a little anecdote here, which is I interviewed with Asana in, I can't remember, like 20, maybe 2018. And I remember they kind of mentioned that they didn't use email at all. Like they only used Asana to communicate with one another and like assign tasks and projects. So I think there's definitely power. One, I think that's great. Like dog food, your own product. Mm -hmm. And two, I think there's a lot of power in fully adopting a singular platform and product. I know when we were at Autodesk, there was this kind of awkward period of we were using like Slack and we're using Microsoft, like Link or Skype. Yeah, Yeah, whatever it was called. Skype for business. Um, still using email and that was just really confusing because people didn't know when and where to talk to people so i'm glad that like having one you know unified platform is you know a direction that asana was trying to go to i was gonna say like like another like i just you were mentioning like granular tasks on tasks on tasks and i feel like at autodesk i remember we had like 25 or 26 like paid interns like one summer that we had and we were using Asana to create this whole system to, to manage the system. And I remember just like creating the spreadsheet and like having like, all mm-hmm. these subtasks of all these things that you would do. And just like, no one really used it. It was just like, you know, yeah. I like almost like over-engineered the entire like right. scheduling and project management system. And, you know, I think to your point, it, I think half of the puzzle for any good project management or any tool is adoption. And how do you make yep. sure that people are actually using this and going to use it? Like, you know, even like where I work, it's like we have a ton of like internal tools, but like the most effective ones are the simplest ones that people actually use and actually get done. You know, even though it's not yeah. like the the best, but it's just like, hey, like everyone's using it and we're able to, you know, move the ball forward as opposed to just getting blocked because like no one uses it or no one yeah. can use it. There's the old adage for tooling, which is um, the best tool is the ones that people use, which is kind of what you mentioned. Like if, if you use it and you like it, great. It's the one that works well for you. I think it's like there's a similar one for dieting, which is the best diet is the one that you stick to. So the second thing is adherence. So people like use a tool and they like using it consistently. That makes a good tool. I think for you and me, Mike, we find a lot of tools that we use, but we don't have very good adherence because we <laughs> kind of circle back and forth. That, that's part of it is that we find things that are effective, but it might not be the same thing depending on where you kind of catch us in our workflows and stuff like that. I'll add one other anecdote here, which is um, when I got to interview at Asana, I met Jackie Bavaro, who's a product leader in the space. She's fantastic, super sweet. They do this like presentation phase and um, she was in that small like six person meeting room. And oh, that's I was, cool. Like, Holy She's like crap. the OG. Yeah. Yeah. And she had, you know, like written a book, um, now has a second book around product management and breaking into the space. So just wanted to kind of give that shout out. She was really awesome to kind of meet in person. And I always kind of think back really fondly on that experience, even though I didn't get it offered a job at Asana. I think it was like really cool to meet somebody that, you know, I really respected in the space. No, I remember uh, you like texting me or maybe you were chatting in person during the podcast. You're like, oh, I got to meet Jackie Bar. I'm like, dude, that's so cool. She's like the OG, like product person. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, definitely give her a follow if, if, if you don't. She's uh, pretty active on Twitter. We can talk about who Asana is for. So according to the Project Management Institute, uh, an organization which offers certificates for project managers, which isn't Asana's like only market segment, but I just wanted to kind of, you mm-hmm. know, show, you know, our listeners, like, or at least tell our listeners, because you can't see my screen, <laughs> but, you know, tell everyone that's listening, you know, like give you the size of the pie. So the PMI estimates that are about, estimates that there's about 16.5 million project managers in the world, which is uh, way higher than I thought, but I guess it's, I guess it's reasonable. Uh, roughly two thirds of that population is, is in the U.S. So definitely a large market segment for, 
Asana to go after just in the project manager or folks with the project manager title. And according to the latest 2021 financials from Asana, they had massive amount of revenue. So it was $227 million. And by 2022, so one year later, their year over year growth was estimated to be 48%, which is insane to grow 48% from 227 mm-hmm. million. That's an extra $100 million to 336 million. So, um, I don't see this train slowing down. I think that, you know, Asana's kind of got this interesting flywheel where once you have these companies um, that are baked into the platform, because to your point, Jeff, like the best tool is a tool that gets used or the, whatever the saying was. What, what's the saying again, Jeff, actually? Yeah, the best tool is a tool that gets used. There you go. I, I got it. So I'm always, I'm always <laughs> second, second guessing myself here and getting it right. But yeah, because like you have these existing companies that are simply just adding users as they grow. And then therefore adding, you know, revenue just de facto per seat. Um, it's a really interesting space for a software as a service company to be in. I could see Asana becoming one of these like core enterprises, enterprise type companies that will really just dominate the market segment over the next like 10 to 15 years. Yeah, let's talk about the market a little bit. So there's a lot of different project management tools in the space, and I don't see that they're um, going to stop being project management tools in the space. We probably talked a lot about these in a previous episode about Trello, but I'll just regurgitate some of them. So there's obviously Jira. It's a project management tool mainly meant for software development and engineering, you know, mostly around that space. It's an Atlassian product. There is another tool called Smartsheet, which we use a little bit at Autodesk. I remember it was pretty good at building project timelines. There's one called Rike. Uh, there's another big one called Monday.com um, mm. that has been doing some pretty insane marketing recently. Like I yeah. think if you search for any of their competitors, you'll find Monday.com pop up in the search results. Yeah, when I searched for Asana to like dive into it, Monday was the first one that popped up. But I know Monday only because my my wife my wife and her company uses Monday, and she's always talking about her Monday boards on Monday. She's like, "Oh, my Monday board's full." I'm like, "My Monday's full too." She's like, "No, my literal Monday board is full." <laughs> You're like, "Okay, great." Um, <laughs> Uh, and then the last one is Trello, because obviously we've done an episode on Trello. If you haven't checked out that episode, definitely search back through the archives and give that a listen. Awesome. Well, we can give our thoughts. So, you know, I'll, I'll kick things off, Jeff. I think that Asana for me is, you know, a four a four star flat. Like I, I think where it doesn't get higher points for me is because like I kind of had that fall off where I, I don't use it. Because yeah. I actually used to use it a lot for my, my personal tools, but that just might be a Mike slash Jeff problem of our adherence to tools where we're always yeah, doing these yeah. different things. Like, like nothing beats email or nothing beats like pen and paper. So I think we just have to have the suite of tools, but I really liked all of the collaboration tools. I really liked all of the subtasks that you could create and just make sure, and you could kind of see the whole flow of the project. So if you have everyone, if you have wide adoption of the tool, everyone is bought into it and everyone's using it, I can totally see the value in this. And, and I would probably rate this higher, but because it's, you know, I, I haven't had that like stickiness or adoption, I guess, cause I don't use it at work. It's, it's definitely a little bit lower for me. So yeah, four stars flat for me. Yeah. I'm going to give it a really similar score of a 4.1. I think that from a product perspective, it does a lot of things really, really well. And I think that in this case, it might just be that we're not necessarily the core target demographic. I think the biggest thing is if you can adopt it at the enterprise level, it's going to be a very, very powerful tool for you. At our company, we don't have any one singular productivity tool and maybe for the better. And yep. kind of what we talked about before, which is like, you know, use whatever tool is the one that you like. If you like it and you use it, it's a good tool. Um, that's kind of the the mindset that we adopt. So that's why I'm using like a combination of different things and that changes over time. However, I do think that if you're at an organization that could deal with the change management of fully adopting a product like Asana, 
I think you're going to get a lot of benefit out of it. And so I don't have really too much else to say about it. I think it's a really good product. It can boil down to very you know niche features that you want. It can be a, a very simple high level. It does a lot of things that you'd want out of a project management tool. Overall, really, really solid. I'm going to give it a 4.1. Awesome. I love it. Well, those are our thoughts on Asana. Definitely a fun episode. And, you know, we always love hearing from our audience. So please continue to reach out to us on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, wherever you are on social media. We are likely also there, except for MySpace. We did not create a MySpace account for Products Podcast, but reach out to us. You can find us at Products Podcast. That's P-R-O-D. EX podcast. Yeah. And if you like the show, um, be sure to give us like an actual like on any podcast platforms that you like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Feel free to subscribe there as well. Check out Good Pods. Um, we're on there as well. So all the different platforms, we're totally on there. But yeah, drop us a line. Let us know what products we should review next and we'll see you next episode.